Hello everyone. Welcome to our Wednesday. Welcome to our meditation Q&A at this moment. This moment. For me, it's Wednesday, just after 8 p.m. For you, it might be a very different time. But this moment. Wednesday is just a concept, so is 8 p.m. But here we are. You're hearing my voice. I'm projecting and hearing my voice. We're all interpreting our experiences. Wholesome and unwholesome reactions are arising. Life doesn't stop, huh? You can't just take a break. Life continues moment after moment. Karma is created moment after moment. The truth of karma is it isn't just something you do on occasion. We're constantly, constantly engaging in wholesome and unwholesome qualities of mind. Positive and negative, beneficial and harmful. And... Building habits based on those states. When those habits build up, they have great power to control and direct our lives. They control and direct our lives. Meditation, mindfulness is practice, a training to deconstruct, to open the lid up on those habits, to refine and direct them with our eyes wide open rather than blinded by ignorance and delusion. Ignorance and delusion, these are our constant companions. Anytime we're distracted or lazy even, when we just don't care enough to be present, we'll do and say things that hurt ourselves and hurt others, and think things, get caught up in thoughts, Mindfulness is a training to see clearly, to be present, to care enough to direct our minds profitably, beneficially, wholesome, wholesomely.
and it's hard work. It's hard work. I posted how meditation is hard. I posted something recently on how meditation is hard. That's the point. But it's that's misleading, and it led to some people disagreeing with me with that statement. Meditation is hard work. It, it actually isn't always hard work. It's hard work. It's hard work is just a general statement because for most people it is hard work. For some people it's not so hard. It seems rather, rather easy. But that's misleading as well. Meditation is hard and that's the point. What it means is The whole point of meditation is to challenge you, to change, to see things you don't yet see. If you already see the truth, you, sh you don't have no need to practice mindfulness. If you already see clearly, and if you don't see clearly, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's hard not because it's necessarily unpleasant or painful because it's challenge it challenges you it challenges your core beliefs it challenges everything about us it's fundamentally something that we didn't yet know something that we've never never understood never and never means in all the rounds of samsara something we've never understood never seen that's hard hard to see hard to hard to even turn your head away from the pull of likes and dislikes views opinions laziness complacency etc etc arrogance conceit and so on bad habits hard. It's hard because it's not who we are. And if your meditation is easy, you have to beware. It's quite likely that the meditation you're doing is not mindful. It's very easy for meditation to become easy. Everything becomes easier through meditation, of course, that's the whole point. But once it becomes easy, you're no longer meditating and you have to move on and find the hard stuff, face the hard stuff. This is an important point. If you think meditation is meant to be easy, comfortable, peaceful, an escape from all the chaos of daily life, you're misunderstanding the whole purpose. The purpose is not to run away from the problems, it's to see the problems more clearly. Anything that is a problem to be seen until you no longer see it as a problem, until the causes of the problem are rooted out. It's the whole point. So it's hard. It's, it's a challenge. It's challenging. That's what it is intrinsically. It's not just a chance by chance that somehow it feels like a challenge, that it feels unpleasant 
and it feels uncomfortable, not necessarily unpleasant, but uncomfortable because its very purpose is to take us out of our comfort zone. That's intrinsic to it. It's meant to make you squirm, make you feel uncomfortable until you're no longer uncomfortable, until that, that, that which makes you uncomfortable no longer has that power over you, not to hide away in a comfort zone. And, and the reason for, for bringing this up is because meditation is very discouraging. It's, it's discouraging. Some, how many people you've heard, oh, I'd like to meditate, but I can't. It's too hard. I just can't do it. Because of this idea that people who practice meditation are just peaceful and calm. And that's how meditation has to be. And if it's not like that, it means you're just doing something wrong. Doing something wrong, this is what people often feel. If it's hard, if it's challenging, if it really brings you out of your comfort zone, you should feel proud, feel not proud, you should be encouraged by how well you're doing, facing things that are hard to face. Nothing's wrong. The only thing that's wrong is the habits of reactivity that you're now observing that are causing you stress and suffering. And changing them, not changing your experience. That's the goal. So, with that in mind, a little food for thought, we, I think, are ready to answer questions. We already have lots of them. All right. So from now on, no more comments. Looks like we just got questions anyway, which is great. Everyone's ready. Go ahead, Chris. Chris is here to help. Okay, let's begin. I find guided meditation helpful and appeasing. Would you suggest I keep practicing those or not? Would it help me get better at meditating on my own? Well, any meditation is good, guided or not. Guided is just a concept. It's it's still just stimuli. What it is, though, is a crutch because you're saying, uh, "My I'm going. My meditation will will rely on these things." So, you can ask yourself: Are training wheels useful? Training wheels are useful, but only if you eventually give them up. Uh, as far as guided meditation being appeasing, well, that this probably just means it's easy, comfortable. And so again, you're not doing yourself a great favor by relying on it. I would say guided meditation is best used as a first introduction to meditation. Your Your goal is to challenge yourself, increasingly challenge yourself. So guided meditation won't do that, not likely. I've been meditating on the floor every day and I'm starting to get some bruises on my feet. Should I be doing something differently? I mean, if you're meditating on the hard floor, that's probably not advisable. You can meditate on a carpet, a mat, 
but you know bruises are just bruises if for some reason you have to meditate on floor that bruises you doesn't sound like you're really going to suffer from it i don't know i just wouldn't i'd i'd recommend something a little softer Can someone be a very good meditator, yet live a poor life where he gets angry and stressed out very easily? What can be done to remedy this? Hmm. Well, I guess it depends what you mean on good med- mean by good meditator. I want to immediately say no. Because if someone gets angry and stressed out, it's a sign. But it's a little more complicated than that. Because someone can be doing everything right and still get angry and stressed out. How is that possible? Because they're just not there yet. They're, they're, they're doing things right, but the, the doing things right hasn't yet led to the realization and the understanding that's necessary to overcome the old habits of getting angry and stressed out. So it's maybe a little bit less, it's not quite so simple as this. What you should understand is that through meditation you'll become less um, susceptible to anger and stress. So the very easily should not continue. It should become harder to get angry in the sense of requires more for you to get angry and stressed out. That should be a result of proper meditation so one cannot say that they have progressed or gained or or developed trained in meditation they are untrained if they still get angry and stressed out so what can be done to remedy it is more practice and also to have reaffirm reaffirm to to reevaluate your practice figure out if there's something you're missing try and pinpoint things that you might be not paying attention to try to find those things that are sort of like next on your list through the practice you start to see qualities and and behaviors uh, that are positive and negative and you can sort of evaluate them in terms of what you're going to tackle next. Not that you do it one at a time, but but that you're more cognizant of some than others. Like some habits are just so deeply ingrained that it's going to take you a long time, like desire for food or sex or those kind of things can be very difficult to overcome. But um, your, your impulse to kill mosquitoes, for example, or to lash out at other people you you can remind yourself you know those sorts of things you should try and work on first the things that really um, present themselves as harmful of course But I don't know if you've read the booklet. I would recommend reading the booklet so that gives you an idea of the sort of things I mean when I talk about meditation. Maybe it will help you if you're this person who gets angry and stressed out easily. Or maybe give the booklet to the person who is.
Why do why do we use touching points in sitting meditation instead of just using the breath? Well, we don't really consider ourselves using the breath per se or watching the body. Uh, the touching points are just extra work. It's like when you're training weightlifting, you add weights, or it's like juggling, you add another ball. Why do you add another ball? Because it's more challenging. and uh, Any training is like that. You add more complexity, more challenge, which is again going back to this idea. You have to understand that meditation is meant to challenge you. That's the whole point. Nothing special. When meditating, my thoughts often drift to a philosophy that scares me, solipsism. How should I note this? Afraid, afraid. Or just thinking, thinking. I don't think we can actually ever know that there are other people in, in the universe. It's, not, it's a bit of a red herring. It's like, how can we know that this room around me is real or anything like that? just out of uh, what we can possibly know so solipsism has no basis just like the opposite whatever that is doesn't have any basis the focus in meditation is to observe experiences and solipsism deals with uh, beings which aren't really real they're just well they aren't a part of that experience I tend to synchronize with the breath when noting. For instance, I might note pain when I breathe in and again when I breathe out, but rarely in between. Is this incorrect? Well, it's an experience. It's a, it's a it's an event. It's something that happened. It's I guess I could say it's incorrect. Uh, in the sense that you don't want to be complacent with that you're ignoring something you're ignoring the fact that you observe that so it's not incorrect the fact that they're in sync what's incorrect is that when you notice they're in sync you don't note that you should note it as something like knowing uh, or it would be incorrect to purposefully uh, fall into a rhythm or or encourage that or anything like that so you should note it and eventually your mind will be able to focus better and only be aware of the pain or, or whatever and not relate it to some other unrelated experience. When meditating, I have questions I want to ask you. I want to write them down so I don't forget them by the end of the meditation. Can I do that? Trying to remember them is preventing me from meditating. Yes, writing them down is a good idea. Recommend it. I mean, ultimately recommend I mean, recommend it with with the, the qualifier that you shouldn't be trying to... Th and I'm not saying this is the case with you, but but as I say that, I don't want people to think that they should come up with lots of questions. 
anytime you have a question to ask, you have to be clear in your mind whether it's better to let go of the question or to ask it. That's something you have to start to learn for yourself. And increasingly, increasingly, you'll find that questions you should there are questions you should just let go of, or the answer comes through the meditation. That sort of thing. I'm not discouraging from asking questions. I'm just saying, don't engage in this process of thinking up questions to write them down, for example. But yes, if a question comes up and you're sure that that's an important question, which many, mostly they are, just write it down. Sometimes when meditating, my mind will drift in the way one's mind does before falling asleep, as if the thoughts appear and are gone too quickly to acknowledge them. Any advice? You can just note however it appears to you, just drifting, drifting. Afterwards, you might say knowing, knowing. There might be a feeling, a drowsy feeling. You can say drowsy or feeling. Try and just be aware of the experiences. This is a reason for outline, outlining the four satipatthana, because it gives you an idea of the sorts of things that are going to be real. Try and note those realities. How does one avoid counting when focusing on breathing? I feel as though I begin focusing on a beat and I forget about my breath. How does one simply focus on the breath? What do we note? It sounds like you haven't read the booklet. So the thing about this session is I, I teach a, a specific tradition of meditation, which some of you might not be aware of. And the focus is on that tradition and that practice. So if you're practicing in a different tradition or a different uh, technique, there's not a lot I can do to answer your questions. If you're interested, I'd recommend you reading the booklet because it does talk about what to note. If you're really interested, you can sign up for an at-home meditation course. The links are there and they're also in the description, or they should be. And they're all on our, on our main website. You can find links to everything there. When I began meditating, I felt pleasant waves of energy. Now the waves are gone and my mind is quieting. Is this normal? What should I do if I am missing the feeling of the waves? It's normal because impermanence is, is normal. Impermanence is a normal quality of reality. Nothing lasts for everything. Everything changes. If you want some kind of reassurance, I don't have any reassurance. It's unpredictable. It is, it shouldn't, you shouldn't be reassured that that happened, like that's a good sign or something. Not necessarily. I mean, it, it is a good idea, a good sign that your mind is quieting. So there is that. It can be a good sign. But I'm not sure if you've uh, read our booklet, because it should talk about those sorts of things. When you feel pleasant, you should note pleasant, pleasant. If you like it, you should say liking, liking. If your mind is quiet, you can even say quiet, quiet, or calm, calm. And if you miss something, anything, whatever it is, just note wanting or missing. If you're sad or frustrated or disliking the fact that it's not there, note all of that as well.
if we meditate and see things more clearly, could it make us less happy if in that clarity we see more chaos and evil in the world than we previously thought? No, because it's a different kind of clarity. That sort of, I, I don't think you're thinking of the same, of clarity in the same way as we mean it. The clarity that we're talking about is to see things in such a way that they don't disturb you. So seeing chaos and evil in the world is very conceptual. The chaos and evil that you'll see is in your own mind. And not only that, but you'll see that the things, the, 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 the objects of the evil in your mind, like the liking, the disliking, the greed, the anger, the delusion, those objects are not worth getting upset about. At, at getting angry, getting attached, greedy, arrogant, conceited, serves no benefit. That's what seeing clearly means. So as a, as a it's as its very nature, it reduces, it, it works out and frees you from the evil. And as a result of that, because evil is, of course, the cause of so much chaos, the chaos is reduced as well. As far as chaos in the world, you stop seeing things in that way and instead start focusing more on experiences. So if chaos comes to you as an experience, you see it just as an experience and your reactions, your unhappiness is reduced because you see getting unhappy about things is just a useless, un unbeneficial state seeing clearly that that's the case so it's not it's inherently impossible that seeing clearly should make you more unhappy because unhappiness is a, is caused by delusion caused by not seeing clearly ignorance When practicing loving-kindness during meditation, should I pause when something arises to note it, then return to loving-kindness, or not focus on other phenomena and push through, like walking meditation? So I wouldn't recommend practicing loving-kindness for a long time. You do it sort of when you need it, as a means of reaffirming in your mind the proper way of relating to beings when you're angry at them or that sort of thing. Take them as an object and try and spend a bit of time and during that time you wouldn't note because it's a different kind of meditation and once you've done that then then just go back to switch back to mindfulness or you can do it at the end another way is at the end of the session even at the beginning of the session uh, send good thoughts to all beings and during that time there's no noting a different mantra, different mantras that you're using. May all beings be happy. When trying to be celibate and sexual thoughts arise, should one only try to bring themselves back to the present moment, or is there something more in-depth than that? One should try to take those objects, the sexual thoughts and emotions, 
as the present moment. They, I mean, they are the present moment, so you're not going back somewhere else to some other present moment. Bring yourself back to the present moment of those thoughts and those desires and feelings. You can also practice mindfulness of the body, the parts of the body. It's a common one for monks. But it's only a stopgap measure. If you don't have mindfulness as well, it really can't solve things in the long term. Mindfulness is the long-term solution. If I meditate regularly and have a girlfriend, am I embarking on a path that leads to getting rid of the girlfriend? Funny question. I mean, it's kind of you got it's kind of funny, no? It's worded in such a way that it can be interpreted in different ways. So, okay, that's taking it as at face value. I think the answer is no, and why I want to say it, I mean, the obvious answer would probably be yes, but I think we can say no because. There's no getting rid of people. People don't exist. So you start to see them as experiences more and more. You're still, you know, conceptually able to recognize them as individuals, distinguish them from others, of course. But more and more you're you're focused more on the reality of the situation and the experiences. And so you don't get rid of people. What usually happens is they leave you. They become disinterested in you and how you've changed. There's a story of a man who heard the Buddha's teaching and became an anagami. An anagami has no desire for sensuality. And he was married, and so when he came home, his wife was actually waiting for him at the door. And he would normally greet her and they would embrace or whatever and say kind words. And instead, this time, he just walked right past her, and looking down at the floor, walking, walking. And she had she was a homemaker, so she had food ready for him. And he, normally when they sat down to eat, they would have pleasant conversation. This time when he ate, he was silent. And the, the, the wife was, the woman was increasingly distressed. And wondered what was wrong. But she didn't say anything. She sat there, distressed, upset. And the hu the husband ate his food. 
Now after after dinner, I guess it was late, or eventually they made their way to the bedroom and she got ready to lie down on the bed and watched him and instead of lying down on the bed, he lay down on the floor beside the bed. And at this point she'd had enough. She spoke up and she started crying or was upset and said, What? What, what what are you doing? What what happened to you? And he realized that if he didn't say anything she would be she would get angry and that would be a bad thing for her. And he said, But I really I, I don't want to I don't want to talk about my own attainments, I don't want to brag, but if I don't say something she's gonna be very upset. And so he he told her what had happened. He said, look, I will I will continue on as your husband and do my duty working out in the world. But, uh, but And I will treat you like a sister. But if you want, you're welcome to leave me and go find someone else. And that would be fine as well. And instead she asked him, permission to become a bhikkhuni. A long story short, she eventually became a bhikkhuni and became an arahant and ended up being his teacher. And there's a, there's a sutta about the two of them, the discussion. It's the Jula Vedala Sutta. So it might turn out like that and then you don't lose this person at all. In fact, you gain a teacher instead. But you may very well be on the path to them leaving you. Which is fine. I mean, their choice. Uh, it often leads to you wanting less and less to do with sexuality and romance, finding them to be distractions and unwholesomeness. And that can make people upset and lead to conflict. But it won't lead to you getting rid of anyone whatever way that means. In fact, in many ways, it just purifies our relationships. It leads to greater appreciation of each other. If people have that ability to appreciate goodness, it can lead to greater mutual appreciation. I struggle with issues of major agoraphobia after having a thyroid storm wreck my nervous system. It caused major panic attacks that make it hard to be present in social situations. How do I get back? So panic attacks are composed of moments of, of, of anxiety and stress and fear and whatever. as well as moments of physical experiences, tension and uh, vibrations and energy and all this, which are just feelings and thoughts. It's made up of, of all these things that become a feedback loop that escalates into a, a panic attack, eventually incapacitating you, make you unable to be present. 
So the practice of mindfulness is meant to deconstruct those problems, like a, pa a panic attack, those entities, and observe them not as the monolithic entity, but as the momentary component experiences. You have to train. You have to train to do that. And when you train to do that, the physical and the mental, experiencing them moment by moment, you start to change those habits. Panic attacks are just a habit that you build up. It's going to be hard. That's something you have to understand and appreciate and incline towards challenging yourself, to challenging yourself to confront and change your habits. Should I meditate with opened eyes or closed eyes? We do walking meditation with eyes opened and sitting meditation with eyes closed. How does one deepen their meditation in order to reach higher states of consciousness? I'm not comfortable with this question um, for two reasons. One, I don't, I, I'm not comfortable with it. Not that I think it's necessarily wrong. It's just the potential for misunderstanding the word, words like deepen and higher. Um, it's too great. So we don't generally talk about it this way. Your meditation shouldn't feel like it's getting deeper. It should feel like it's getting more refined. It's probably a better way to describe it. States of consciousness should not seem higher. They should just seem more refined. And by refined, it just means less greed, less anger, less delusion, less reactivity, less chaos, less stress. Basically less reactivity or reacting less, judging less seeing things more clearly, seeing things more sharply. So I don't really have an answer for your question. I'm not even sure that you're practicing according to our technique. And if you're not, there's not much I can do to help you, but I recommend if you're interested to try reading the booklet. If you have done that, maybe try doing an at-home meditation course. Is meditation far more difficult for some people, and therefore could they just accept that they can't do it and just try to live a good life with the Buddha's wisdom and teaching? So something yeah, something that has to be remembered, has to be stressed, is that difficult never ever becomes impossible. By its very by its very definition, difficult is possible. So if it's difficult, no matter how difficult, it's by its very definition not impossible. 
if you want to talk about when meditation becomes impossible, I think you could argue that there are cases where it's literally impossible, like actually impossible. But as I said earlier, difficulty is to be expected, to be encouraged, to be um, to be born. We're not trying to shy away from difficulty. We're trying to engage in difficult situations in order to change the way we look at them so they're no longer a cause of discomfort or upset or suffering. A lot of meditation is simply doing things wrong until you realize that you're doing things wrong. And so it's going to feel very wrong, like you're doing everything wrong. I can't meditate. I'm just doing it all wrong. Seeing that you're doing things wrong is is the point. Seeing what's wrong. Seeing that what's wrong is wrong. So when, when it feels difficult, you're most likely doing something right. Because you're seeing that you're doing things wrong. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's the seeing. The key is in the seeing. Is there such a thing as volume when it comes to speaking the mantras? I'm worried that I am talking over the sensations I am supposed to be noting. Well, first of all, if you're worried, you should note worried. But if it feels like you're talking, like they're loud, you could note something like hearing. Anytime it feels something, feels like a something, note that something. So if you notice your meditation or anything, being a certain way, note that. That's all. Is it normal to be meditating and then you start feeling your body is petrifying? I felt solid like a rock. I got scared for a moment, but then I ended up enjoying the moment and got very happy. So we're not, again, again and again, we're not concerned with normal. There really is no normal because reality is unpredictable. Uh, we're not looking for signs that something is normal. So I'm not going to answer that sort of question because it's not useful. It's important to start to see how abnormal things are, how unpredictable things are. Don't look for normal. Don't be worried that something might be abnormal. Abnormal is something you're going to start to see as the new normal. All you have to do is when you experience something, see that something clearly. So if you start feeling your body is petrifying, just say feeling, feeling. If you get scared, say scared, scared. If you like it, say liking, liking. If you are very happy, say happy, happy. Simple. It's all. It's about simplifying. Simplifying things. Remove that extra layer of judgment and reaction.
I tend to note too many things very quickly. Should I slow down the noting and take time with each noting to better see or understand what's happening? All you have to see and understand is that it's arisen and ceased. So it's not like you have to go in depth or investigate. It's quite simple what we're trying to see. It's just a matter of seeing it more and more clearly and more and more consistently, rather than seeing things as something else, as more than that. Uh, if you find yourself noting quickly, one thing you can do is say knowing, knowing. Just remind yourself, just acknowledge that you're aware of the quick noting. But you can also make a conscious decision to note a little slower. Should be slow enough so that you don't think of it as fast, and fast enough so that you don't think of it as slow. Ultimately, just note if you you don't have to. Now you're going to wonder how 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 do I find that happy medium. By noting when it's something else, by noting when it feels fast, when noting when it feels slow, and then just letting it go. I find myself saying rising, falling, like a machine, and not even truly noticing it or noticing that my mind's gone elsewhere. Any advice? It's like I'm counting one, two, one, two, mindlessly. Yeah, well, that's the point. I mean, it's practice. You have to work on it. That's the point of saying the mind should be with the object. You noticing that is a sign that you're training, that you're seeing what you're doing wrong. And you can say something like knowing, knowing when you realize that, or distracted, distracted. That's not useful. So be clear that that's not right meditation. Which Don't be upset about it or don't don't feel bad about it. That's normal. That's a part of the beginning. Just be clear that that's not useful. That's not what you should be doing. And try again, try again, and eventually get better at keeping the mind with the object. Noting after you experience the thing. Is it okay to meditate with the use of cannabis? No. I meditated for many years. However, four years ago, I went back to university and have not kept up my practice. Do you have any advice for how to best begin reincorporating meditation into my daily life? I don't know if you've practiced in our tradition, but we offer an at-home course if you're interested. But that's really for a beginner. You know, if you've already done meditation, there's no advice I have. I mean, everyone has this problem. But it's your problem. You have to overcome that. That's something you have to acknowledge that is the problem. The problem is that I'm not keeping up my practice. And there's no advice besides that, you know, that's where you have to start. You have to get incorporate it back into your daily life. That's your work. Because anything is just going to be a crutch. You've had all the crutches. You've probably gone and done courses or met with teachers or had groups or whatever all of that is just for beginners it really isn't the long-term solution long-term solution is to change the way you live your life change the way you look at reality change your goals your ambitions incline yourself towards the practice it's not easy and you might lapse people do for many years You have to work at it.
Is the purpose of mindfulness while doing normal day-to-day -day activities to prevent the arising of thoughts about the self? I mean, doing mindfulness while normal, there's no di inherent difference between mindfulness while doing normal day-to-day -day activities and mindfulness while doing a formal meditation practice. So is a purpose of mindfulness to prevent the arising of thoughts about the self? Yes. Because those thoughts are extra extraneous to reality. They have no inherent, they have no, they're not intrinsic to experience. This experience doesn't lend itself to those such thoughts. So they're based on some misconception or some additional idea or view or belief. So they're not useful, they're not helpful, and they're the cause of great problem because they lead to ego and conceit and so on and so on. Could meditation help me to give up smoking? Oh, absolutely. I'm told I never was addicted to cigarettes, but I've talked to people who said it's not so difficult to give up smoking. What they've said is that it's not easy to smoke mindfully because it's really an unpleasant habit. It's funny, right, how how something so unpleasant comes to be associated with the, the pleasure because of the drug that it's included in it. If cigarettes didn't have nicotine in them, I think uh, you know, it wouldn't be something that people just did, oh, because I just like to do it. Maybe that's not even quite fair because... I mean, obviously, there would be it. It would never have really picked up, uh, hit it off. But um, people do things like that, also because of not seeing clearly. So, as you see clearly, the clarity of mind will overcome the desire in two ways. First of all, you'll see that the rest of it is disgusting. The smoke going into your lungs—it's just not a pleasant experience. And secondly, you'll start to see that the desire for the brain chemicals is not really of any value and that the pleasure that you get, the peaceful, happy feeling from the nicotine isn't really of any use or benefit. So your habits are able to change. How does noting help if I have a procrastination problem? Well, procrastination isn't real. It's um, something we'd use to describe certain mind states and mind states that incline us in certain directions. But you have to note those mind states. It can be liking, it can be disliking, it can be laziness or drowsiness. It can be distraction, lots of things, doubt, confusion, worry, fear. All of those things will cripple you. As you note, you start to become free from those because those are extraneous. They're not intrinsic to, they're not a proper response to any experience. There's no logical reason to to respond in that way. And so you start to see that and incline in different directions. Okay, it's nine o'clock. Or whatever questions we have left, Chris, go ahead. You know, you know what to do. Everybody else, you're welcome to talk now. No more questions, please. 
Bante, the first tier is exhausted. Oh, okay. Well, thank you all. Thank you all for coming. More people on Saturdays, but um, still, we've got a whole, a large room full of people. If we were all in the same room together, this would be a very large meeting. So, thank you all for your patience and your interest in the Dhamma. Much appreciated. Thank you, Chris, for your help. And thank you to all the volunteers. We just had a talk about how you know, there's a lot of people who come together to make this possible and we don't always acknowledge them. So they knew, know who they are and what they're doing and we express our appreciation and our joy to think how good it is that they have found good things to do, that they are doing good things and how good it is that we all are doing good things. And the goodness that I get from answering your questions, I share with all of you. May you all uh, rejoice in the goodness of this teaching of the Dhamma as well. But may we rejoice in the goodness of all the people that came together to make this possible, including the people who asked the good questions. You're all doing each other a favor, right? When you ask a good question, oh, you're doing many people a favor because now they can hear the answer. So, sadhu. Have a good night, everyone.